MSW Media. Thanks to AG1 for supporting our show. If you want to take ownership over your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash dailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, January 29th, 2024. Today, a jury awards E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million in a win for all sexual assault survivors. Alabama executes Kenneth Smith with nitrogen gas. The Department of Justice executed an agreement with the parties finding Governor Cuomo engaged in a pattern of sexual misconduct. Top former Israeli national security officials say that Netanyahu must be removed from power. Lauren Boebert finishes fifth in a straw poll in her new district. Wayne LaPierre testified during an NRA corruption trial. Vince McMahon has resigned after an ex-employee accuses him of sexual assault and sex trafficking. The Trump Organization Monitor says the company gave incomplete and erroneous disclosures. A Trump $50 million loan to himself looks like tax evasion. The Oklahoma Republican Party condemns Senator Lankford for working with Dems on a border deal. Three U.S. troops have been killed and another 30 injured in a drone attack in Jordan. And a Republican judge in Illinois finds that Trump engaged in insurrection. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Another record news day. Happy Monday. Dana's out. She will be back tomorrow. She's traveling, doing her uh, benefits and galas and helping raise money for the LGBTQ plus community or she's doing shows or she's on the road. I mean, she's so busy and I miss her when she's gone, but she will be back tomorrow. Later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Tristan Snell to discuss his new book, Taking Down Trump, which hits shelves tomorrow. Invites have gone out for the DC MSW Media Meetup on April 20th. So check your inboxes for that. Remember, if you didn't get selected this time, you have priority for the next time. And there are going to be tons of opportunities to come out and meet us live this year. Uh, Also, Taylor Swift is headed to the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm about to watch the Lions play the Niners. I like sports. I was born in Akron. I can't help it. All right. We have so much news to get to today that we need to do some quick hits. And to make a long story short, too late. First up, a jury has awarded E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million. Trump managed not to mention her by name at all at his Nevada rally over the weekend. But then on Sunday, he retruthed, I guess is what you call it, a story about her defaming her yet again. We'll see what comes of it. Perhaps another lawsuit, maybe a filing for an injunction, perhaps both. I will keep you posted. And Lauren Boebert has finished fifth, fifth in fifth place with just over 10% of the vote behind three veteran state lawmakers and a former talk radio host who ran last cycle for the U.S. Senate in last Thursday's straw poll for her new district. Remember, she quit the third district because she was going to get creamed by Adam Frisch, who lost to her last time by just a handful of votes. I remember help curing those ballots. Next up, Kenneth Eugene Smith. Uh, And I'm going to do a content warning here um, for this quick hit. 
Kenneth Eugene Smith appeared to convulse and shake vigorously for about four full minutes after the nitrogen gas apparently began flowing through his full face mask in Alabama's death chamber. It was another two to three minutes before he appeared to lose consciousness, all while gasping for air to the extent that the gurney shook. Now, Smith was declared dead at 8.25 p.m. Thursday, and Alabama has become the first state to use nitrogen gas to execute a human being. I am vehemently anti-death penalty. All right, next up, Wayne LaPierre confirmed under oath in a New York City courtroom Friday that he used the organization's financial resources on chartered private jets, family trips, black car services, and high-end gifts for his friends. He took the stand Friday morning for the first time, answering most questions with a simple yes or no. Citing health issues, he has previously said that he intends to resign at the end of the month from the gun rights group, which he has led for more than 30 years as its executive vice president. Also, World Wrestling Entertainment founder and Trump friend, Trump confidant, Vince McMahon has stepped down from his role with the WWE and its parent company on Friday, the day after a former employee filed a lawsuit accusing him of sex trafficking, abuse, and sexual assault. On Thursday, a former WWE employee, Janelle Grant, filed a lawsuit that stated she was, quote, the victim of physical and emotional abuse, sexual assault, and trafficking at WWE. Today's complaint seeks to hold accountable two WWE executives who sexually assaulted and trafficked Janelle Grant, as well as the organization that facilitated or turned a blind eye to the abuse and then swept it under the rug. That's what her attorney, Ann Callis, says. Now, I recommend with all my heart that you do not read this complaint. I'm very serious about that. Next up, the Oklahoma Republican Party approved a resolution Saturday condemning and censuring Senator James Lankford for his role as a chief negotiator in the Senate border security talks between Democrats and Republicans. Now, I mean, holy fuck, when Lankford is too liberal for you, this is just more proof that Republicans don't want a solution. They want the problem. And Trump saying during a rally this weekend that he is 100% sure that there will be a terrorist attack scares the shit out of me. It sounds like he's planning one. Another one. I mean, he, he did orchestrate a terrorist attack on January 6th. Now, three also, the next story here, three U.S. Army soldiers were killed and more than 30 service members were injured in a drone attack overnight on a small U.S. outpost in Jordan. That's according to U.S. officials talking to CNN. This marks the first time U.S. troops have been killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since the beginning of the Gaza War. We shall respond. That's what President Joe Biden said while speaking in South Carolina Sunday. Now, keep in mind, Iran loves Donald Trump. Trump tried to stop Bill Barr and the DOJ from indicting uh, Hulk Bank for skirting Iranian sanctions. He and Ivanka's Azerbaijani tower laundered money to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. I mean, the <laughs> Iran loves Trump. Iran would love nothing more. Iran, Putin, they would love nothing more than to see Joe Biden lose the election this year. All right, we have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up, and this is huge news that kind of got buried uh, by the incredible E. Jean Carroll verdict, but this comes just days before Judge Angoran is set to rule on the $370 million civil fraud claim brought by New York Attorney General Tish James. This reporting is from Adam Klasfeld at The Messenger, and he says, the court-appointed monitor overseeing Donald Trump's businesses told a judge Friday that the former president's financial information has contained incomplete or inconsistent disclosures containing errors. Quote, I have identified certain deficiencies in the financial information that I have reviewed 
including disclosures that are either incomplete, present results inconsistently, and or contain errors. That's what former federal judge Barbara Jones, who has been tasked with scrutinizing the former president's business empire, wrote in a 12-page letter to the court. Though she described Trump and his businesses as cooperative with her investigation, she added that, quote, information required to be submitted to me pursuant to the terms of the monitorship order and review protocol has at times been lacking in completeness and timeliness. The judge sent her update to Manhattan Supreme Court Justice Arthur Angoron, who appointed her as a monitor in November of 2022. That was after New York State Attorney General Letitia James sued Trump three of his adult children and two of his business associates, alleging they falsely inflated the number of the former president's assets by billions over the course of a decade. Last September, Angoran issued a ruling dissolving Trump's New York business empire uh, for persistent fraud. That has been stayed pending the outcome of this trial. And it's also important to remember that the reason the New York attorney general asked for a monitor was because in September, uh, after like a couple of months before the Trump organization was convicted on 17 counts of tax fraud and before the New York attorney general w- filed her, her civil lawsuit, Trump created a second organization called Trump Organization 2. And uh, New York Attorney General was worried that he was going to use it to offload assets to protect them from what was coming. The Attorney General's office claims that Trump's alleged in, uh, intransigence, even after a monitor was in place, justifies even heavier punishments, like roughly $370 million and a lifetime ban from New York's real estate industry. Uh, Barbara Jones, who also served as a monitor in Rudy Giuliani and Michael Cohen's criminal investigations, said that the Trump Organization has implemented changes under her monitorship, but it needs to shape up even more. Quote, absent steps to address the items above, my observations suggest misstatements and errors may continue to occur, which could result in incorrect or inaccurate reporting of financial information to third parties. But Jones declined to weigh in on whether the issues she observed amounted to fraud. She said, in addition, while I am to receive advance notice of restructuring or sales, my appointment does not require or permit advanced approval of the Trump organization's preparation or submission of financial information to third parties. Thus, I am not in a position to conclude whether fraudulent activity occurred. So even if fraudulent activity is occurring, she can't make that conclusion. Um, She's not able to. Uh, Now, at a hearing earlier this month, Judge Angoron announced that he plans to rule on the requests before the end of the month. That's in two days. And always read the footnotes. This is from the Daily Beast. Former federal judge Barbara Jones uh, just planted a financial bombshell that legal experts say suggests Trump lied knowingly and repeatedly on his federal financial disclosures about a major loan that never existed and may have evaded taxes on $48 million in income. The detail came in a letter that she filed Friday. That's the letter we were just talking about. Um, the, le- the, the letter claims yet again that Trump and his company have filed statements containing inconsistencies and errors. But Jones tucked a major revelation into footnote six, writing that a massive chunk of debt that Trump has claimed to owe one of his own companies for years apparently doesn't exist and never did. Quote, when I inquired about this loan, I was informed that there are no loan agreements that memorialize the loan, but that it was a loan that was believed to be between Donald J. Trump individually and Chicago Unit Acquisition, LLC, for $48 million. So, shady LLCs. Quote, however, in recent discussions with the Trump org, it indicated that it has determined that this loan never existed 
and thus that it would be removed from any upcoming forms submitted by the Office of Government Ethics, that's the OGE, and would also be removed from subsequent versions of corporate financial statements. Now, if this is true, that would essentially be an admission from the Trump org that all the financial disclosures Trump has filed with the federal government listed an entirely fictional debt worth tens of millions of dollars, which Trump claimed he personally owed to one of his companies. Asked to comment, Alan Garten, that's the chief legal counsel for the Trump org, told the Daily Beast that her claim that the company confessed to the loan never existing is inaccurate and that the loan did exist. Quote, that's one one of many inaccuracies contained in the monitor's letter, which we will be addressing with the court. That's what Garten said in a phone interview. Moreover, in contradiction to the ex-president's own statements about the mystery loan, Garten repeatedly insisted that the LLC actually owed the money to Trump. Asked to confirm the loan, Garten replied, yes, the loan exists, specifying that it was an internal loan where Trump lent money to the entity that he owns. Yet, All of Trump's financial disclosures, including the most recent amended versions approved by the OGE last October, clearly state that it was Trump who owed Chicago Unit Acquisitions LLC. He's consistently listed his debt as more than $50 million in the form of what's known as a springing loan, which is a loan with unfavorable terms to the borrower. Now, in fact, Trump confirmed this arrangement himself in a 2016 interview with The Times Trump claimed he bought back this loan from a group of banks several years ago, and Trump said that he'd chosen to keep the debt on his books, uh, claiming that he pays interest to it uh, on it to himself, despite the LLC's practically worthless valuation. Quote, we don't assess any value to it because we don't care. That's what Trump said in the interview. I have the mortgage. That's all there is. Very simple. I am the bank. Now, the OGE warns filers that the Justice Department may bring civil or criminal action against any individual who, quote, knowingly and willfully falsifies or omits any required information on their disclosure forms. The Trump Organization's promise to remove the debt from upcoming OGE filings would indicate that all of Trump's prior filings dating to the 2015 fiscal year contained a staggering inaccuracy. This mysterious chunk of debt has uh, long been a white whale for Trump world financial reporters. It has always seemed odd that Trump owed $50 million or more to a company that he fully owns. Odder still, Trump also reports that this company, Chicago Unit Acquisition, doesn't make money or have any value at all. It would seem logical, report, reports point out, that a company with a $50 million credit on its books would have a value of at least that amount. This LLC, however, is reported as having no value. We've talked about this loan, by the way, on, on, in years past on this show. And here's a quote from Richard Pizer. He's a Harvard real estate professor. He said, there should be an offsetting entry somewhere. I can't explain that. I'm really hoping that the Southern District of New York or the IRS or both are investigating this fucking tax fraud. But so far, there's no public indication that they are. Uh, For Engeron's decision, I personally think he'll come in at around $225 million for disgorgement. And I think he'll strip Trump Sr. of his business license. But I have doubts he'll extend those punishments to Don Jr. or Eric, based on some questioning in the courtroom. We shall see. We're supposed to know this week. Next up from Department of Justice, the DOJ announced that it has signed an agreement with the state of New York Executive Chamber to resolve the department's claim that the executive chamber, under former Governor Andrew Cuomo, engaged in a pattern of practice of sexual harassment and retaliation in violation of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. 
The agreement memorializes the reforms already carried out by current Governor Kathy Hochul, as well as additional reforms aimed at preventing sexual harassment and retaliation in the executive chamber. Title VII is a federal law that prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. Title VII also forbids employers from retaliating against current and former employees for complaining about workplace discrimination or otherwise asserting their Title VII rights. The department's investigation, conducted jointly by the Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York, found that the executive chamber, under Cuomo, one, subjected female employees to sexually hostile work environments, two, tolerated that environment and failed to correct the problem on an agency-wide basis, and three, retaliated against employees who spoke out about the harassment. Former Governor Cuomo and many complicit senior staff left the executive chamber in 2021. Since the department's investigation began in August of 2021, the executive chamber has implemented changes to its policies. Quote, executive chamber employees deserve to work without fear of sexual harassment and harsh reprisal when they oppose that harassment. That's Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark of the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. She goes on to say the conduct in the executive chamber under the former governor, the state's most powerful elected official, was especially egregious because of the stark power differential involved in the victim's lack of avenues to report and redress harassment. With this settlement agreement, the executive chamber under Governor Hochul is undertaking additional actions that will address system failures of the past while helping prevent a recurrence of systemic sexual harassment and retaliation in the future. All right, next up from WBEZ Chicago. Former Republican President Donald Trump participated in the fatal January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, but it's the courts and not the State Board of Elections that should decide whether to remove him from the Illinois primary ballot. That's according to a state hearing officer recommendation on Sunday. The Illinois objection to Trump's candidacy was brought by five state voters, a national voting rights organization involved in trying to keep Trump off the ballot, and two Chicago law firms. This case is part of a multi-state strategy around the country to bar Trump from appearing on the 2024 ballot based on the 14th Amendment, Section 3, that prohibits insurrectionists from seeking public office. The Supreme Court is reviewing a Colorado Supreme Court ruling to bump Trump from the state's ballot based on the 14th Amendment. Now, the Illinois State Board of Elections on Friday held a hearing, as I said, on on this issue with attorneys for Trump and the citizens seeking to bar him from the ballot, presenting arguments to a hearing officer. That's Clark Erickson, who's a retired longtime judge, uh, also a Republican. Erickson's written recommendations obtained by WBEZ uh, was submitted to the state election board, which will hold a hearing on Tuesday, that's tomorrow, to consider what to do next. Erickson's recommendation uh, was that the courts should decide whether the 14th Amendment bars the Trump candidacy. But he also delivered a scathing assessment of Trump's involvement in the insurrection, writing that the former president fanned the flames that led to the breach of the Capitol and attempts to fraudulently undo the 2020 presidential election. Quote, Trump does not dispute that he knew violence was occurring at the Capitol. He understood that people were there to support him which makes one single piece of evidence in this context absolutely damning to his denial of his participation. The tweet regarding Vice President Mike Pence's lack of courage while Trump knew the attacks were going on is inexplicable. That's what Erickson said. Trump knew the attacks were occurring because the attackers believed the election was stolen, and this tweet could not possibly have any other intended purpose besides to fan the flames. Still, the retired judge ultimately held the constitutional dispute over how to apply the 14th Amendment has to be resolved by the courts. Next up from CNN, 
more than 40 senior former Israeli national security officers, and celebrated scientists and prominent business leaders have sent a letter to Israel's president and speaker of parliament demanding that the Israeli prime minister Benjamin Netanyahu be removed from office for posing what they say is an existential threat to the country. The signatories on the letter include four former directors of Israel's foreign and domestic security services, two former heads of the Israeli uh, defense forces, and three Nobel Prize winners. The letter blasts the coalition Netanyahu assembled to form the most right-wing government ever in Israel, along with his highly controversial efforts to overhaul Israel's judiciary that they say led to security lapses that resulted in the October 7th attacks, the deadliest day in Israel's history. And here's a quote. We believe that Netanyahu bears primary responsibility for creating the circumstances leading to the brutal massacre of over 1,200 Israelis and others, the injury of over 4,500, and the kidnapping of more than 230 individuals, of whom over 130 are still held in Hamas captivity. The victim's blood is on Netanyahu's hands, unquote. The letter was sent to Israeli President Isaac Herzog on Thursday and to uh, the Speaker uh, Amir Ohana on Friday. Netanyahu's popularity has fallen dramatically since starting his sixth term as prime minister just over a year ago. Critics have blasted his judicial reform efforts, which threatened to trigger a constitutional crisis and divide the country with months of massive regular demonstrations. Quote, leaders of Iran, Hezbollah and Hamas, the letter says, openly praised what they correctly saw as a destabilizing and erosive process of Israel's stability led by Netanyahu and seized the opportunity to harm and damage Israel's security. Among the 43 signatories are former IDF chiefs Moshe Ya'alon and Dan Halutz, Tamir Pardo and Danny Yatom, who ran the Mossad Intelligence Agency, and Nadav Argaman and Yaakov Perry, who were directors of the Domestic Security Service, Shin Bet. Now, if I've mispronounced any of this, I'm truly sorry. Former CEOs, ambassadors, government officials, and three Nobel laureates for chemistry uh, also signed the letter. A poll released this week by Israel's Channel 13 suggests Netanyahu's political party, Likud, who would now come in a distant second if elections were held today, and that's according to the polls. The front runner in the poll was the National Unity Party, led by former IDF chief Benny Gantz, currently a member of Netanyahu's war cabinet. In the past week, Netanyahu has repeatedly expressed his opposition to Palestinian so- uh, sovereignty for security reasons, as Israel's main ally, the United States, continues to call for a two-state solution. The letter's signatories accuse Netanyahu of spending years propping up Hamas in Gaza at the expense of the Palestinian Authority, which the U.S. has argued should be revitalized to govern both the West Bank and Gaza. CNN has reported that for years, Qatar delivered cash-filled suitcases to Gaza with Netanyahu's blessing, despite concerns from his own government. The money was intended to pay civil servant salaries and retiree benefits, It is now delivered via bank transfer rather than in cash, and as recently as last month, Qatar said it was continuing to pay it. Israel's actions in Gaza are the subject of a genocide case in the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, initiated by South Africa, which accuses the country's leadership of intending to, quote, bring about the destruction of its Palestinian population. All right, everybody, stick around. We're going to be right back with the author of Taking Down Trump by someone who has done it successfully. That's Mr. Tristan Snell. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. You know, I used to feel sluggish. I was anxiety-ridden, like, almost every day. My digestion wasn't doing as well as it should have been. 
But then I started taking AG1. I added it to my daily regimen, easiest habit to pick up, and I've had that extra energy I need to take on my busiest days. And my digestive system is working better than ever. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be simple. That's why for the last three years or so, I've been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water in the morning every day, makes me feel energized, ready to take on the day. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerfully healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. My day kicks off with AG1 as my morning ritual. I prefer it right after waking up, right before I go to the gym, just a scoop with some cold water in a shaker, uh, and it's ready to go. On hectic mornings, AG1's travel packs are a lifesaver. You know I travel a lot. They're convenient, single servings, perfect for when I'm on the road, making sure I never miss out on my essential nutrients. AG1 gives me the confidence that I'm supporting my overall health, particularly my brain and my gut and my immune system. It's blended of vitamins and probiotics. It's got whole food nutrients. And it feels like a safeguard for my well-being, fills all the gaps in my nutrition. And drinking AG1 ensures I'm addressing all those needs from the moment my day begins. So if there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why we've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership over your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and you'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash dailybeans. That's drinkag1.com slash dailybeans. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, I'm really excited today to be joined by somebody I've been kind of tag teaming the whole Trump thing on Twitter with for the last seven years. He's an attorney. He's a legal commentator. You may have recently seen him on MSNBC, and he's the author of a, a new book, and it's his first book. It's called Taking Down Trump, 12 Rules for Prosecuting Donald Trump by Someone Who Did It Successfully. Please welcome Tristan Snell. Tristan, hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going, well, you know, you know how it's going. <laughs> Gestures broadly. <laughs> Crazy town every day. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we're, it, it, it feels like it's already been quite a while and the year is only 24 days old. So here we go. Yeah, heck yeah. of a year we're having. And yes, yeah. it's still January. Yeah. Uh, so this is an incredible book and I wanted to talk to you about it. Not just professionally, because of all of the trials that Donald Trump is facing this year and how timely this book is, but because I'm personally suing Donald Trump and I would like to know how to defeat him as well. Uh, <laughs> you, you, so you, we just got a permission to file for default judgment. He hasn't responded to the lawsuit yet. So. Ooh, exciting. Fun. Um, yeah. And, and oddly, the DOJ is representing the Department of Veterans Affairs and Robert Wilkie, but not Donald Trump, and they wouldn't tell me why. So it's very, oh, it's very fascinating. Great. Probably because he hasn't asked. Uh, he's 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 yeah. a little bit busy, and that's what I want to talk about because you successfully got a twenty-five million dollar settlement in the Trump University fraud scheme lawsuit. Um, that you were part of that team, incredible takedown, uh, and uh, so. I normally ask people what motivates them to write a book, but I, I think I know the answer here. It's kind of baked in, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of baked in. I would say it's it, it's two big things. I mean, one, I wanted to share that that story uh, and then how that impacts my, I have a lens through which I then view the cases that are going on now, as well as some other cases that have been going on in in in, in the recent past. But I also just generally wanted to be able to provide everybody with this roadmap or citizen's guide uh, to how do we actually make an impact to make justice happen? And how can we 
sort of see it unfolding and be informed about what we're seeing uh, as these cases transpire over the next year to give us some hope, but un- but realistic hope, not hope that's just like, you know, Pollyanna-ish. Like, I want us to actually be able to look at this and say, yes, these cases are moving, you know, po- possibly frustratingly slowly, possibly with some bumps in the road, but they're getting where they need to go and we can see what the progress looks like. We, we can see the steps that were taken and we can see those wheels of justice grinding slowly, but we know that they're, that we know that they're turning, but also that we can spot it when the wheel stops because having it turn slowly versus having it actually stop are two different things. And we do need to be out there advocating for things to move when they're not moving at all, or when we actually believe they could be stuck. They could be stuck because the cases take forever to put together. They could be stuck because of a court calendar issue, or they can't find a big enough courtroom in Atlanta, or whatever. Or we're waiting for an interlocutory immunity appeal decision. Exactly, (laughs) right? We're we're dealing with like, oh, it's got to go up on appeal, and it's got to do this, and it sucks, and it's frustrating to watch, but at least it's doing something. As opposed to, we need to be able to tell the difference between that and it's not moving because somebody on the inside has gotten cold feet and they're being chicken. And we need to actually get out there and be like, no, stop being chicken shit about this and go prosecute this guy. Yeah, exactly. If the merits are there. If the merits are there. You know, in that stunning piece in the Washington Post, uh, I think it was Carol Lennick, she exposed a lot of this, but also there was so much in there that showed that there were a lot of Trump holdovers, Dan Tuono, Mike Sherwin, who were blocking people like J.P. Cooney, who's now on Jack Smith's team, from doing a top-down investigation. They didn't, they blocked it. They didn't tell Merrick Garland about it. And we've got the, you know, eventually, and then we've got Ron Johnson in the Senate blocking the appointment of the U.S. Attorney General, or the U.S. um, Attorney in uh, DC, DC, right? He didn't DC, get there yeah. till November, uh, and the 21. minute he, yep, yeah. and the minute he gets there, he puts Wyndham in charge, and then Wyndham tries to get search warrants and yep. everything, and he's blocked by Dan Tuono in the FBI, who also blocked the Mar-a-Lago search warrant. So he has to yep. go to the Inspector General and the Post Office cops to get these search warrants. I mean, it's just very frustrating, but we yep. do see it. But I think that what's interesting about your book and, and what you've been able to do and what you want to share with others, because I know I'm, I'm an institutional person, too. I love sharing best practices, is the concept of justice, right? Everybody wants to see him criminally convicted. Yes. But I think where it hurts Donald Trump the most is his money and his business and the things that can be got from civil litigation. And and we're seeing the fruits of that. We're seeing it with Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, Rudy Giuliani. Yep. We're seeing it with E. Jean Carroll. Um, we're about to see it with E. Jean Carroll for a second time. Uh, and we saw it with Trump University, the Trump Foundation, the Trump Org, and the New York Attorney General Civil Fraud Trial. Yep. These things that frustrate him, cost him money, leave him broke, and make every single day on this planet worse than the one before for him. I think that is all also a concept of justice that a lot of people are kind of missing. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the uh, the key is that you've got these civil prosecutions that can get brought by the government. Um, that's often a specialty of a lot of AG's offices, not just New York, although I think New York does it better. I'm a little bit biased. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this is really the, the playbook that we developed 
at the AG's office. The, what we learned through Trump University, you see that it got applied in the Trump Foundation case, which came a couple of years after, and yes, now in the in the Trump org civil fraud case. But yeah, now I really think that private litigants are now starting to figure these things out too, and not being, you need the right litigant and you need the right legal team to basically say, look, you need to be in it for the long haul, you need to play the long game. This could take years. It could hurt. It could take a lot of resources, but you need to basically build a big giant bulldozer and then just run it and just keep on going and you're not going to get stopped. Uh, I mean, that's how you eventually just wear him down because he's going to try to distract and deflect and delay and destroy your reputations and all this other stuff. You just need to ignore all of that and just keep pushing. So that's what a lot of the rule, for him. Yeah. And that's what a lot of the rules in the book uh, lay out. And this is, and this is important, not just a guide to defeating Donald Trump. It is also very much, and I say this in the book, a guide to defeating anybody like him that right. is trying to be above the law. Uh, that is trying to be a, you know, a, a corrupt, you know, fascist grifter. This, this is, you know, I am hoping to write more in the future about, about how this ties into uh, things I didn't get to talk about in this book, the Alex Jones cases. Right. Uh, you know, I would say that the, the build the wall case with Steve Bannon is kind of another one here. Uh, which is still going, other, not federally, but still, it's going all in the Manhattan DA's office. Going. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff is still going. But we've got this kind of like cohort of uh, right wing folks that are that are basically using cons to bring in money and then are pursuing these reactionary extremist politics. And and it could apply to other people, too. But anybody who then holds himself up to be above the law, untouchable, has a big publicity machine at their disposal. Uh, you know, that also really fit the description of, say, like Harvey Weinstein. I would want to look into that situation. Um, you know, the, the the efforts that failed to get Jeffrey Epstein and then the efforts that were going to succeed had he not taken his own life or whatever happened there. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. You know, we, we have Sam Bankman-Fried. I mean, Bill so Cosby. Many examples. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of, you know, uh, the, the, the road to justice has been uneven in a lot of these situations, but we need better playbooks for figuring out how to topple these kind of figures that are trying to get away with everything. And, yeah. and I think if we can start to get more wins, it will also restore people's faith in our system. Uh, which itself is a corrosive problem that then is a self-perpetuating uh, bad bad spiral. Yeah. And in the book, again, it's called Taking Down Trump. You you have these 12 key rules for how to beat Trump or somebody like him. Right. But I, I want to talk about a couple standouts to me. I mean, they're all extremely important, but some of my favorites will say um, how to stand up to Trump's public bullying. And I think that Robbie yeah. Kaplan, E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, yeah. is giving a master class in this. Yes, I do. And uh, yeah, so I write about Kaplan and Carol in the book. Uh, you know, obviously, we have even more events happening now that that happened after the book went to press. Uh, but they've been doing a really wonderful job at this. A couple of things that they did that have been really great are, you know, A, just the, the sheer, brave, strong, just, I would call it stoic is the word I've started using more. I, I don't think I used it in the book, but I started using it. It's really the position that you need to take as you have to deal with this. You just have to keep walking and keep going and don't let any of the attacks get to you. Don't acknowledge them most of the time unless they actually raise a real legal issue. Don't acknowledge them. 
They're not there for that. Like if you do that, then you're showing you're getting under his skin or that he's getting under your skin. You don't want that. I think Carol... Well, that's what a malignant narcissist wants, is they right, want that's to right. get a they reaction out of you. want to get the reaction. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, that Kaplan's made it very clear that, that she's there to talk law and is not there to talk bullshit. Uh, I think Carol has just been like a very brave figure in the face of all of this as, as, as she walks in and out of the courtrooms and deals with the cameras and the reporters. Uh, then they've done a wonderful thing. It's not just that they've been brave and strong and 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 stayed focused on their facts and their law, which I think is what I talk about in the book. That That's one thing. Then they went above and beyond because they found ways to use Donald Trump's words against him not just in obvious ways, like, okay, you took his deposition and now you can use that in court. But it's also what they did with the deposition. That you know, I don't know that it necessarily would have been obvious to everybody to show him the Access Hollywood tape in his deposition. I think a lot of lawyers would have thought, oh, that's kind of no, 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 that's 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 too outside the box. It's too no 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 no. We're just gonna play it by the book and ask him about like the encounter and, and ask him about what encounters he had with Carol prior to the assault, blah, blah, blah. Like they would just go, a lot of people wouldn't have done that. The fact that she did that and then just waited for the magic to happen. Part of it was knowing her opponent, Kaplan. She knew there, and this is this, so this is one of the other rules is about um is about trying to is about trying to get him on the record so he can hang himself. That's rule eight. And that was really one of the best examples of it. It was like she knew that if she just got him talking, maybe something great would happen. Well, I think that's she, why Angoron didn't stop him in those no, closing just arguments. No, he's going to go nuts. Like and he's he admitted to to tripling his triplex square he footage. He did. He, he all, <laughs> he's going to have more confessions. He's going to say other things. So that was the whole thing about like, uh, you know, she questioned him on like is you know his stars have historically been able to rate people and he's saying you know un- unfortunately or fortunately and yeah. it was just like and that was it you were done you were done before then but after that it was just like nope it's it stick the fork in and he's done there's not a and when he the- misidentified uh aging that's for the other one marlon put in the book. right right exactly yep, that because that's fact, i remember reading that, that and thinking those were the two two moments those were right? the two things and it was just like that's it it's over like you show those things in front of a jury and you're done it's over so i think that they, they yes they have done an absolutely wonderful job with those cases and they show that you can apply this rule book as a private litigant and be able to topple people like that. Yeah, 100%. Now, another one is uh, how to persevere against all the stonewalling and counterattacks, because that kind of yep. dovetails with the bullying, right? Right. Yes, because the first thing that he's going to do when you sue him is he's going to do He's going to do sweet. He's going to go. He's going to say what what the Brits would call sweet bugger all. He's going to do nothing. You know that's going to be his first move. He might answer. In in it sounds like in in some cases uh, he might not. But uh, but you've got or he'll answer, but then he won't actually comply with the discovery. He'll send him a subpoena. In our case, we you know if you've got the government doing one of these. They're not going to file a case and then go investigate. That's what private litigants have to do through the discovery process in, in, in regular civil litigation. If you're the government, the wonderful thing, of course, is you then get to send investigatory subpoenas first to start building your case before you ever actually have to go public with it. 
So that's what we did. We did announce that we were going after Trump. And by the way, it was not, oh, we're going to go get Donald Trump. We're going to take him down. It was like, no, we did a, we had a, uh, a bigger investigatory initiative going after five different for-profit education uh, schemes. And he was one of the five that we picked. Uh, when I showed up at the office, it was about eight months later. And of those five cases, the Trump case was the one that had barely moved. And it's because the Trump people barely gave us any documents and we just, we were nowhere. And so the, the task was go find out. First off, we had to do a way deeper dive into talking to more of the victims. I interviewed about a hundred of them. I think my bosses were expecting me to interview maybe a few dozen. I interviewed a hundred. Uh, I basically locked myself in my office for six weeks and I came out with this just treasure trove of, of, of potential testimony and a whole bunch of these people willing to say they would put, they would go on record and be under oath and have it be an affidavit that they would be willing to testify. A lot of these people would tell me I'm scared to go after him, but I don't yeah. know how this is ever going to get fixed if, if, if we don't step up. And they would really grow me to be like, are you really going to look into this? Is this just like, are you actually going to follow up? Like, I really, really want to hear from you again. Like, I want to know how this is going. I want you guys to do something about this. Uh, people were crying. People were screaming, uh, et cetera. When I, all I had to do was just say who I was and ask them what had happened. And that was it. They would just go for like 30 minutes and the tears would come out. Um, but we went and got documents from his uh, vendors. That was one of the other things that we did that I don't know if people had really realized to do before uh, or that we did it more comprehensively maybe than others had. And now other people, have, other, other cases have been doing this too. He outsources everything. He barely does anything in-house. So what you got to do is you just got to figure out who his vendors are and then just go subpoena all of them and you're going to get everything. This is not rocket science. You know, investigators do this kind of stuff all the time. But I don't think that they had really done it to Trump and not as comprehensively as we did. So he didn't have an HR department for Trump University. So we went and got all the HR records from the outsourced vendor. They didn't do the background checks in-house. We figured out who did those. They didn't do the transcripts of the seminars in-house because they were actually recording the seminars. And this was key. He was then done in Trump University in part by tapes. Hmm. It was the tapes that really made our case. We never got our hands on the tapes. We didn't need to. They had transcribed the tapes and I got my hands on the transcriptions. And how I did that was we went to the vendor and it turned out he had been stiffed by Trump. So this is another rule in the book is about you can go after his former vendors and turn them into allies because they can actually help break open your case. So that vendor- he doesn't had, pay people. He doesn't pay people. That vendor, <laughs> when Trump University was shut down, and by the way, they shut it down because they were worried about getting sued and whatnot. So they actually just shut it down rather than continue for they're starting to get bad press. So they decided to shut it down. It wasn't our case that shut it down. It was already gone. Um, but when they shut it down, they just didn't pay people at the end. They just said, oh, yeah, you owe us $14,000 for those services that you totally rendered. Yeah, we're not paying you that. Uh, so this one guy had never been paid. Uh, his last bill. And I brought that up and it was, he, he didn't want to help me before that. After I brought it up, it was like, it was like talking to a whole different person. Wow. And suddenly I went from having five of these transcripts, which corroborated all of our victim testimony to having 150. And then we were in business. So yeah, you've got to really get creative and, and, uh, and fight back about the stonewalling things we should have done, but didn't 
because uh, because the the uh, folks upstairs in the executive office uh, chickened out on it was we should have gone to court and done a motion to compel. So you do a motion to enforce the subpoena. Uh, they did do that in at the AG's office in the in the civil fraud case. So that was one of the time that was back in twenty two. I think that was when we first learned how big that case was. People may remember there was like an eighty three page or something like that filing from the AG's office with a truckload of exhibits that showed yeah. like how much they had in that civil fraud case. They did that just to get a motion to compel, saying like basically saying hello judge and by the way it was Jed, judge angoron at that point also it was like hello judge this is a very meritorious case see all of the crap we are li- we are delivering to you uh we need to get more because he's stonewalling us and what did and what did the ag's office do they followed the same playbook where did they get a lot of the stuff from they got it from the appraisers they got it from Mazers, the accounting the insurance company. They, they got it from the insurance companies. They put pressure on those people and they're like, okay, yeah, you can have everything. Mazers, I think, wanted to defend Trump. And I think there was enough pressure being applied to them that they finally disclaimed him entirely. They said, you're no longer our client. And there was that famous thing where they said, we no longer stand behind the financial statements. They just, yep. they basically just cut him loose entirely. But that was because of pressure. The AG's office was going to all of those vendors and being like, great, we can't get those things from Trump Tower. We're going to get them from everybody else that you worked with. And it works. So, yes, you've got to do all of that. And now that we're seeing more places do it and more cases do it, we're seeing more good results. Yeah. And and that Trump v. Mazars comes up yeah. so often right. in legal filings, both criminal and civil, yep. uh, because of the implications yep. of that particular case. Yep. Well, I I could talk to you for another hour about this and, and pick your brain, <laughs> but I, I'm running out of time. I just want to let everybody know this book is available. It comes out on the 30th of January, but it's available now, pre-order, everywhere you get your books. Will you tell everybody where they can find you, your book, yeah. more information on this? Yeah, thank you. It's uh, So it's takingdowntrump.com, has all of the links, so you can uh, pick the bookseller of your choice, uh, but it is available everywhere that books are sold. Uh, and we are going to be doing a lot of fun stuff on TV and on all these wonderful podcasts. And I'm also doing a whole bunch of stuff on social media. So you can find me at Tristan Snell uh, on, uh, I still call it Twitter, uh, Instagram threads uh, and Mastodon and Spoutable and all, you know, all of those. Uh, Everywhere, and then yeah. on TikTok, I'm Tristan Snell 212 because Tristan uh. Snell got taken Sadly, two hundred and eleven other Tristan yeah, Snells no, out knew, there on TikTok. Right? So, uh, <laughs> so that was uh, so that's that's what I am there. But you can find if you Google me, you can find me on all this stuff. And, and I, if you if you uh, if you enjoy me yakking about all of this, uh, you know, there's there's more where that came from. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, I I appreciate you uh, joining me today. It's great to finally put a face to the name. I know we've been Twitter buddies for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the book is called Taking Down Trump, 12 Rules for Prosecuting Donald Trump by Someone Who Did It Successfully. And please note, this isn't just about Trump. I yep. mean, it can be anybody who ha- who has similar kinds of uh, motivations and personality disorders <laughs> that, you, that you get. If, you, if you're looking for help in your divorce or you look at, you know, I mean, this uh, is, I, probably, I have It will found, probably apply, honestly. There's probably some applicability to pretty much any difficult situation against the litigant that wants to evade accountability. 
Yeah. And I have found it extremely useful and applicable in all kinds of situations. Thank you so much, my friend. Um, We have a lot of good news to get to. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And the good news is Dana will be back tomorrow. Yay. I know I miss her too. Uh, But we have so much other good news to get to. Uh, You can submit your good news at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. You can send us your uh, student debt relief stories. You can send us corrections, confessions. We can play what the animal, what the hell is whatever. I mean, what? let's see. We have what the shell, opine and the bovine, what the hequine, what the mutt, cat me if you can, what's the model of your oxalata. Well, any animal, send them in to us. We will guess what it is, whether it's the type of animal or the breed. But I'm probably not going to be able to guess like genus or phylum or family or anything like that. But, you know, hey, whatever. It's fun. And we get pictures of animals. You can send your pod pet tax in. If you don't have a pod pet, you can send uh, an adoptable pet in your area or a shout out to a small business in your area or your small business or a shout out to a loved one or yourself. We love self shout outs. Anything at all, send it to us. Again, that's dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And here's a correction from a fan with a disability. Hello, Leguminati. I'm a huge fan of the pod and writing with a gentle correction about Thursday's episode on the Trump White House pill mill. I cannot think of a single positive of the Trump White House and that story being among the worst. However, I was hurt and disappointed by the meth joke. I felt it ableist to make a joke comparing a Schedule Four medication to people like myself we legally rely on comparing it to meth. Uh, we've learned from many listeners that ProVigil is a stimulant, but not an amphetamine, uh, by the way. And the podcast works too and largely succeeds at being welcoming to all, but I didn't feel welcome when I heard words the likes of which I've heard from less positive sources. There's already enough stigma when it comes to medications that help with focus and adding just kidding afterwards doesn't make it okay. Finally, a little defense for Trump White House aides who probably don't deserve it, but ProVigil is a legitimate jet lag medication, not just for narcolepsy, and it is the responsibility of the doctor and pharmacist to educate patients about controlled substances. I suspect at least some staffers didn't think they were doing anything wrong and just wanted whatever help was offered. Thank you so much for that, and we will do better in the future. Uh, And of course, absolutely no intention um, to disappoint you, and I'm sorry. Next up from Gareth, pronouns he and him. Hello, Leguminati. Thank you for all you do. Although I'm in Australia and can't vote in the U.S., I appreciate that the next American election is so important. It impacts everyone, everywhere. So keep up the great work. Just a thought on naming your animal name segment. What the fark is in our ark? I love that. The ark fark game. (laughs) So good. Uh, Pod pet tax is mayhem the mouse. I've noticed not a lot of rodents on the show, so I'd better show off mayhem. Hello, mayhem. Is mayhem named after mayhem from the insurance commercials? I got to know, Gareth. All right, next up from Lori. Hi, Beans Queens. Love your show. I especially love hearing the stories of student loan relief. I paid off my minimal student loans years ago. Even though they were minimal, it was a bear to pay off. Not being an asshole, I was so happy for the folks that are getting unburdened. (laughs) I also have good news from Idaho. Shocking, I know. The Idaho Democrats have been hard at work establishing party infrastructure in all counties. Your people are out there, and for us in the lonely red hellscape of Idaho, we have hope. Our, our, Our county party was already established, and I enjoy being secretary. So get involved. That's awesome, Lori. 
uh, as paw pet tax. I'm including a picture of Aggie. She's currently with the Idaho St. Bernard Rescue. I know she is a great Dane, but this rescue helps all giant breeds. <laughs> it's great. She's been looking for a home for a very long time. She's a little shy at first and would love a doggy companion. She's a hard pass on cats, but loves pigs. As a volunteer, I would love to process your application. We can transport 12 hours from Boise as a crow flies. I adopted last year, and it's very rewarding. You can find her at IdahoStBernardRescue.com. And here's pictures of this beautiful, sweet baby in her jammies. So no cats, but would love a doggy companion. 12 hours from Boise, they'll transport. Beautiful baby girl. Thank you so much for sending that in. Next up, Carol pronounced she and her, Dear Ladies of the Beans, because you mentioned the hospital baby blankets, I'm finally inspired to send in a self-shout-out with a bonus whoopee, as well as a shout-out for my daughter's art. I crochet tiny blankets for babies in our local NICUs so that they have something a bit more special. These are numbers 19, 20, and 21, posed with my mom's stuffed bunny, which will almost be 100 years old. I especially want to give a shout out to my daughter who decided last year to focus on her art and has accomplished amazing things. She does art quilting and also mixed media pieces with fabric glued onto slate and paint on top of that. You can see more of her work at laurascottdesigns.com. Thanks for all you do. You make my life better. We'll have that link to laurascottdesigns.com in the show notes. Look at these beautiful blankies. Oh, how wonderful for the little NICU babies. And this quilting is incredible. The hands uh, out coming out of the earth with the tree and the roots in, in the forearms, that's amazing. I love that so much. And this multimedia flower on slate is gorgeous with the bee. I love bees. Thank you so much for sending that in, Carol. And thanks for sharing. Next up from Richard, he and him. Dear Beans Queens, my wife and I listen to you most mornings. And yesterday morning, I perked up when I heard you mention you wanted to hear from people who love the VA. That describes me. <laughs> I'm a 74-year-old Vietnam combat vet who was wounded in Vietnam. I served with the 101st Airborne Division from 67 to 68. I was also diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1984. I've been going to the VA in Palo Alto since 2000, where I'm seen in the spinal cord injury clinic as well as other departments. As you can imagine, I have a lot of health issues. Richard, I'm going to break in right here. Uh, 101st Airborne Division. Wow. I know I, uh, 67, 68. That's when my dad was there. I know his Air Force 1959th Com Division worked with the 101st Airborne sometimes. So um, I'm feeling this. I mean, I would anyway, but it's really close to my heart. The VA takes extraordinary care of me. The doctors, nurses, and other staff I've dealt with over the years have been top-notch. I can correspond directly with any of my healthcare providers over my healthy vet and always hear back promptly, often the same day. My primary care team is incredible, and I joke that they are like having a concierge medicine. The Palo Alto Division of the VA takes great care of veterans, and I wish everyone could have the great health care I receive. For my pet tax, I'm sharing a picture of my incredible service dog, Toggle, a lab golden cross who is from Canine Companions in Santa Rosa, California. He is my second service dog. My first service dog, Coven, I had for 12 and a half years. I can't imagine life without either of these amazing dogs who pick things up for me, open and close doors. A shout out to Canine Companions for their great work and to you for helping keep us informed during these wild times. Richard, thank you for your service. Look at this beautiful 
companion. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you get good care at the VA. I know the Palo Alto VA is one of the one of the better ones. Um, I had a good friend who worked there uh, as an ICU nurse and in the cardiac cath lab. Um, just so glad to hear this story. Thank you for sending it in. If any of y'all are veterans, have some good positive VA stories. I would love to hear about it. I don't work at the VA anymore, but I spent over, excuse me, a decade there because it was so important to me that veterans got timely access to quality care. So I love to hear these stories. Please send them. Sorry, get choked up about not working at the VA anymore. It was so, so rewarding. So thank you. Thank you for your service. Send your stories into us, dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I'll be back in your ears tomorrow with Dana. And until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. 
There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.